Uh, let me begin by asking you this. How many of you recently uh, have had an experience where like a sink or maybe your bathtub or a toilet got clogged, okay? And we, clogs are the worst. Clogs are the worst, especially, uh, you know, if you're at a coffee shop and there's both men's and women's and you thought, hmm, you know, the men's is taken. I really have to go. So you went to the woman's and then you clogged it and you came out to a lineup of two women. That, that can go bad because you're not going back to that coffee shop. Uh, that's a true story. So <laughs> clogs, clogs are the worst. They're the worst. You know what's even worse than that? When you go to one of those bathrooms and you open it and it's like someone had prune juice for breakfast and you're like, no! And it's all you had. That's also the worst. Clogs, even physically, can actually destroy you. So if in your body, they can destroy you. Uh, I want to talk this morning about spiritual clogs. Uh, the question I want to ask as we get into this text is, is this question, namely, what's clogging your love? Like, what's clogging your love for God and your love for one another? And I want us to just seriously think about this before we pray. Um, so, so, like, I mean, think about it. How, how's your love going? I mean, how's your loving God and your loving one another, like, really? Like, how, how is it really going? Is there something there? I mean, are you, are you madly in love with Jesus? Like, if, if someone followed you, and let's say they just watched your life for a week, would they go, like, he... He, he's crazy about this church. Like he's always involved with, he loves these Christians and these people. He's praying for them and he's reaching out. She's, she's just madly in love with Jesus. I mean, I just, it oozes out of her. Would, would they say that about you and me? And this, because this is the theme. I mean, this is the theme of the whole book of 1 John. Uh, it, I mean, it's the very first verse today as it has, almost has been every Sunday in this book is, is beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Uh, it is very important. And so you're in this room. This is really important for you um, that you get, or you ask the Holy Spirit, if there's something clogging your love for him and others, that's probably the most important thing you could give yourself to this week. And so... Let me, let me ask it a few ways so that we really get to hear from God. When, when you're, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? When it comes, holding back, that's it. Okay, when, when, you're, when you're loving or when you're presented with the opportunity to love God and or another person in the, in the church in particular, that's the context of this letter. Let me ask you this, what's holding you back? And, and not only what's holding you back, you know what's holding back. Like you can tell there's a clog, but it's a willful one. Because you're the kind of person, you know, you tend to remain uninvolved. You know, you're the kind of person that it's the same when you experience like a, like a fender bender. And you're like, oh, thank you that I didn't first experience. You kind of just drive by and be like, I hope someone helps. I can't get involved. That's how you feel though with human relationships, even in the church. Like when you hate when we kind of greet each other at the very end, because you just don't want to get involved. You're like, I just want to get this thing and get out of here. Even though we sense a longing 
for intimate relationships, why have most of us in the church developed a real skill in kind of steering conversations away from those sensitive areas? We don't want to feel uncomfortable. Why do most of us have this kind of stubborn tendency to react to people from like, you know, these defensive layers? Like, have you ever had, you know, some wisdom or something loving that you knew you had to say to someone and, and like maybe they were going through a really hard situation or circumstance and you were like, I know, like maybe they weren't handling it right and you could see that they were handling it poorly or they were believing a bunch of lies and you had, you knew what you could say to them, but you didn't, you didn't. Why? Because deep down there was a fear. There was a fear, there was a clog. You didn't wanna risk upsetting a rather uncomfortable, pleasant relationship. You wanna risk it. And, and what's clogging your love? Here's one counselor, he describes a counseling, a counseling client in this way. And I want you to ask yourself, is this you? So I'm gonna read it and you're saying, is this me? She was known to all her acquaintances as a friendly, gracious and delightful person, but she had a problem. No one felt especially close to her. Everyone enjoyed her presence, but none would claim her as a best friend. Her ready smile and eager hospitality appeared to invite relationship, but their effect was to block it. He says, she came to see me because of loneliness and an empty feeling that had deteriorated into depression. She acknowledged in the safe environment of my soundproof office that she was bitter toward her mother, jealous of her husband's use of time, worried sick about her children, and put out with the thoughtless friends who regularly impose on her kindness. Then she said timidly, if I told anyone how I really felt, I'm afraid nobody would like me. He goes on and says this, which will take us to our text, and prayer contrary to first impressions, this woman's sweetness and charm were not an expression of love. Actually, they were nothing more than the manipulative layers designed to protect herself from hurt. Thoughtful words from her mouth had no real power to encourage. They came from a layer, a clog, not from a heart of love. She was not involved at all with people in giving vulnerable relationships. She lived in an isolated castle sealed off from the world by an uncrossable moat of fear-motivated graciousness that set people at a distance. How many of you, that's you? And if it is, there's a power to get unclogged. And if you want that, what I need you to do is I want you to tell God that. Like I, want you, I want you to pray, God, will you do whatever it takes to unclog my fear or my love so I can love Jesus and people the way you do? You know, I, I really think we need, to, we need to ask him to do that this morning. And, I, and just so you know, like I'm with you, like I, I can tell there's a clog somewhere. You know, I was, I was telling Nikki this week, 
Um, I was like, I don't think I have good character. She's like, what? Like she just knows, here we go. It's gonna be a long, weird spiritual thing. And I was like, seriously, I just don't think I have character. Like I said, like, I think I'm just really selfish. You know, like, we, you, like my wife, she has the, the spiritual gift of giving. So she just loves people way better than me. And, and I, you know, I, whenever I see her loving people, I'm just like, I, I don't think I love people. Like, yeah, I just don't think I do. I mean, like, you know, we had like the gifts of love thing. So I'm like, let's buy the Hot Wheels, which are like three bucks. She's like, no, we're doing the grouse passes. I'm like, what? That's love. Like, you know, okay, let's do work. But I, I have to operate in her gifts of love. But I was, anyways, why am I telling you this? So I'm, I'm just wrestling with this character and going, God, like, I know I love people and I know I don't have the same kind of spiritual gifts where she just gets profound joy in that. And, but I'm called to the same love. And I'm, I'm just, I'm asking God to unclog me. I just want you to know that. Like, I, I want to be crazy mad in love with Jesus. Like, this would be a waste of time if we didn't love Jesus more. You know, you know, what, you know what I would hate is if a bunch of lukewarm Christians got to heaven and we were like, like, I want us crazy in love with Jesus. Like, the purpose of the church is that we would love the Lord and love one another. That's it. Amen. And so we got to pray. Like, we got to ask God, will you unclog us as we unpack this? And so... That's what I want us to do. So whatever, I don't know whatever's going on in your heart and mind right now, but would you just spend a moment with me and we're gonna say, okay, Holy Spirit, you can do whatever it takes to unclog my love. Okay, it's a scary prayer because he's gonna answer it. And I'm praying that a miracle would happen this morning as we unpack our passage, but let's just take a moment and, and pray that. Okay, so you, let's just all pray together. Uh, Lord, we, we're really just wanting to be in your presence. And you're, you're a consuming fire. And I, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us what fears are keeping us from loving you and one another and that you would heal us today by your spirit. And I just, I pray for your help. Father, I think of like Paul's words, like we consider everything rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and that's life. Like we're meant to have this life and life to the full found in the love you have for us and the love that flows through us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for a miracle. I just I pray that you would do spiritual miracles, supernatural healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's read our passage so you know where we're going. Here we go. Verse 7, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved. 
This is your love by God. Let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is just perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Like God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear is to do with punishment and whoever fears has been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If one says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, there's a lot there. So we're gonna organize these truths in three ways. We're gonna look at first, number one, God is love. God is love. These, this is the most famous passage to go to on this topic. So we wanna be clear what we mean and what the scriptures say that God is love. Number two, uh, God, God's love, God loved us perfectly at the cross. And number three, God's love casts out fear so we can love one another. Okay, so God is love, God's love at the cross and, and how, we, how we get this unclogging of fear kind of love. So that's where we're going. Number one, God is love. Let me, let me just begin here because this is so important. It's so repeated in this passage. So I'm gonna highlight a few verses for you. Uh, verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love, but he loves. Another one, we love because he first loved us. Verses eight and 16, both just say it in this way. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 16, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. So when it comes to love, we don't begin with us. Love doesn't begin with us and our definitions. It begins with God and his, which is the love that we're to love. There's a love that you and I are made to love. There's a love that you and I were made to love most of all loves. And this is so important. Here's why the truth, especially in our day and especially in every day, but in John's day, many people will read this and they will go, well, I love others. And this is the way I feel love. And this is the way I love whatever feels good to me. And they'll, they'll just take verses like God is love. Like God is love. He's not gonna judge. Who are you to speak into my life? And so John's like, God is love. Yes, but I'm gonna define God's love by what he says. 
He says he loves you, but his love is best experienced when it's anchored in God's designs, its character, and what is clearly portrayed as what God has displayed to be love, which is what he's done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The way you're gonna see love, the way you're gonna see it manifest will be in the way God's loved us through Jesus. And in sure church, I just wanna say on this front end, if you have this love and you love others with that love, love rooted in the words and works of Jesus, you'll not only have wholeness of what true, true love can bring into your life, you will actually get unclogged. And so, so just I pray that as this passage comes out that you would, you would feel the love of the Father unclogging those things. J.I. Packer says, to know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. So as we get into this, I wanna remind you a few things. We've taught on this extensively, but love begins with God. God is love. And we've said that God is one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in community, eternity in a relationship where love has existed in glorious, infinite, unchangeable, powerful ways before there were human beings in a created order. Love has existed before us. Exciting. God's, God exists as an inexhaustible fountain of love outside of us. It's who God is. Hundreds of times throughout the scriptures, you get to see who God is and how he's loved us. Psalm 86, here's one verse. There's so many, but here's one. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding. That means like abundant in supply. It's endless, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, very important at this point that we, we just clarify love is not only who God is. It's not all that God is. God is holy, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is just. Now, some will say, yes, yep, you know, yes, God possesses mercy, God possesses these attributes, he possesses justice, but his essence is love. Like God is love, his definition is love. Those other attributes, they, those are just what he possesses, but he is love. Now, the problem with that is that undermines what theologians and, and have called for centuries, the simplicity of God. That doesn't mean that God's a simpleton. It just means that whatever God is, he is fully. Whatever God is, he has fully. He's a simple being. He's not made up of, you know, he's not like one eighth mercy and like two thirds justice. He, he is all that he is. Whatever attribute he possesses, he possesses to the full. He never suspends one attribute to lean into another. So all of his justice is a loving justice. All of his mercy is loving mercy. All God's activities is loving activity. There's nothing that God will do ever that doesn't in his beautiful sovereign wisdom also be a loving act, which is glorious because here's what we can know. For instance, because God is self-existence, like his love had no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love has, has no end. Like he'll he can never stop loving you. Like it will not end. There's not like, a, there's not like a, a due date. It's eternal because he's infinite. It has no limits. 
because he's, because he's holy, it is a pure and purifying love. It's invasive. It's, it's going after beauty and majesty. It's not gonna stop. You can't stop him. He, he's immense in his love, which means his love is so vast. You know, people over the years have just used as much language as they could, but one of my favorites is, is his love is a shoreless sea. Like that's true right now about this being the, who God is. God is love. Second, God loved us perfectly at the cross. This is, this is where we get to see Christ and God's love full. And John's wanting to really just drop the anchor. So look at this, verse nine, he says this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, just stop there. I'm going to give you that verse. Just stay there. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Okay, you don't need to wonder if God loves you. It was manifest. In Greek, that word means clearly revealed to the mind and senses. There's nowhere else to look if God loves me or doesn't love me. Or what is love? Love doesn't come in an idea. Love is not just a concept. Love himself has manifested. God's love has entered in. In this, the love of God was made manifest, he goes on, among us that God sent his only son into the world. So God's love is his self-giving action. It's his unselfish concern for our well-being that leads him to act on our behalf for our happiness and welfare. Let me say it again. God's love is his self-giving action. It's his unselfish concern for our well-being that leads him to act on our behalf and for our happiness and welfare, which is what he says. Look at the rest of the verse. It'll be up here. So that we might live through him. So we might live through him. He goes on, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, now propitiation, we've, we've been here as a church, we've talked about this. It, it's a word that means a sacrifice that turns away wrath for our sins. So the way that God's love was made manifest is that God sent his only son to take on the verdict and the real sins that we deserved. And through his death on the cross, propitiation, this sacrifice, justice, judgment went on Jesus, went on you in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when Jesus died, he died to pay for your sin in its totality. So when Jesus is on the cross, he will cry out sentences like it is finished. What is it? Everything we owe and, and, and deserve for our sin, for our not loving God, 
not loving one another for all the things that we have done went on Jesus and he, God the Father, judged them there. That's propitiation. When Christ died, he died in our place for our sin so that when Jesus rose from death, it meant that it was paid. I've used this quite a bit, but it's like the receipt at Costco. When Jesus came out of the grave, the guy, God the Father looked at it, crossed all your sins out because they're paid, it's proof, it's done turned it over, put a smiley face. He loves you forever. Have a good day. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is not just dying. He's not just dying. You need to teach your heart this morning propitiation. You need to go, this is so pro. It's not just He's not against us. It's, 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 he's completely pro for us. It's not that our sins are forgotten. They're paid for. Jesus is dying for us in our place as our substitute. In every other religion, you're saved by doing what the teacher said. But in Christianity, you're saved by what the Savior has done. That's propitiation. That's the greatest event in human history. If it's not true, let's all just get up and get out of here because it doesn't matter. Lots of people have modeled a good life for us. We need Christ to save us. Okay, now you might be thinking right away, come on, James, seriously. Or, or maybe a friend's objection comes in your mind because you're like, yeah, I, you know, I, I like this but I always meet with people who don't. So help me out, pastor. Okay, Ephesians 4 says, one of my jobs is to equip the saints for works of ministry. So this is me helping you in your conversations that you're gonna have in your everyday life. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. So if someone says, or you say, man, why do we need this dying for me love? you know what? My religion is a lot more simple than you Christians. My religion is just be kind. Like I have a religion that's just love one another. What, like, why can't that just be it? My religion is love. I don't need a, I don't need a Bible. And it, just so you know, I think religion like that just divides people. It makes you intolerant. I don't even know if that's loving my religion is just, I'm gonna love, love. And if you love, I'm gonna love that you love. That's my religion. You Christians are too complicated. Judgment. Well, what's the problem with that? There's a few. Number one, on what authority is that your religion? That's a really good question. I know that, that might just sound like a throwaway, but that's a really good question. On what authority is that your religion? And number two, who gets to define love? But I get it, I get it. Okay, if I'm, if I'm sitting out by the pier on Lonsdale Key on a summer sunset night, enjoying the air, and someone runs like right past me and they're like, I love you, this is for you. And they just jump off the edge and just drown. Like I'm saving, you would, you would just be like, this is the weirdest moment. It would be so awkward because you just saw a guy die for you. You'd be like, does anyone, did that just happen? First of all, you'd be like, should I have done something? Uh, 
Second of all, you're like, that's unintelligible. Like, I don't even know why he felt like he had to die for me. Like, this is so weird. Okay, but if you were on that pier and you had fallen over the pier and you were drowning and someone sprang into the water and at the cost of their life saved you from death, then you should say greater love hath no man than this. Like it would make sense. You'd go, this is, that was love. See, it's, it's only when we see our greatest need will we see the depth of this love. And it's deep. It's so deep. Because you just follow me on something here. Before Jesus took on flesh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God really did enter into a real time in human history through a virgin named Mary. But before that, the second member of God, Jesus Christ, lived and he lived infinitely and lovingly in the Godhead before that was, was infinitely loved by the Father. Theologians have no idea how to explain the Trinities, but one, one uh, I think it's Sam Storms or John Piper, I remember reading one, because you, you read so, you can take whole classes on the Trinity, but one was like, the love of the Father for the Son is so intense that the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. That is the love. Like, it's, it's actually personified. Anyways, just a theory. Um, we don't know until God will make that really clear. But here's what I want to tell you. Isaiah 42 says this. This is before Christ comes on the scene as this servant. And I want you to see the magnitude of the father's love for the son. Isaiah 42, one reads this. Behold my servant whom I'm uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. This is God the father speaking about God the son. And then Jesus, when he, when he comes and in his baptism, we hear this declaration of the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit ascending him. And we hear a voice from God, the Father saying and declaring over Jesus, you are my beloved son. I love you with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus, he regularly, I only put up one up there for you, but I re he regularly speaks like this. The Father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. You know, in John 17, when he's praying to the father, he's like, I pray that the love that you have for me would be in them. Like, he's just like, you love me. Like, this love would be, would be in them. I mean, just think about the extent of propitiation. Okay, now watch this. You can see it on the screen. Ephesians 1, 5 says, in love he predestined us for adoption. Sons through Jesus Christ. And then in 1 John 4, 10, we read this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us.
In verse 19, we read, we love because he first loved us. This is breathtaking. So uh, two weeks ago, met with someone named Lauren. She's incredible. She, uh, God is doing a really cool work in her life. She's been a part of Alpha. She's here right now. Um, and in the last few weeks, she's become a Christian, which is really exciting. We're gonna baptize her in the new year. But I got to talk to her, well, like have coffee with her. And it was so exciting for me because as I just, I just said, like, I want to know, like, tell me your story. Like, how did you, how did you get to this point? And, and it's, and so she was just sharing this story. And as she's sharing this whole time, I'm, I'm like, I hope she can hear what I, what she's saying because, and she was, she was like, like just getting this impression, like God had, God was with her the entire time that, that she was seeking out other religions and going in different places. And finding dead ends into so many areas that she was pursuing, but every time God would just steer her a little bit towards him. And, and that morning I read, like, like that morning before I met with her, Acts 17, and I just said, I gotta tell you something because I think God wants me to share this with you. Um, Acts 17 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. He is actually not far from each one of us. And we just went back in her story. I was like, he was present. And you by his spirit, we're feeling him out. And we were both just like, this is crazy. Do you, know what, do you know what she experienced in that moment? That's so beautiful. And what you'll discover if you look back and it's so powerful. God loved her first. Like he loved you first. He loved you first. His love for us to be as loved as his only son was there before you began. Like he loved you first. So, so, so when, we're, when we're sharing our faith, we don't know at what point in God's loving someone he, they're at. We get to play a role, but here's what we can know with confidence. He loved this person. He loves you first. Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet like uh, hostile and indifferent in opposition to him, Christ died for us. He loved us while we were committing wickedness, self-absorption. Nothing is more glorious or shows love better in the universe Like, like the Lord God loves you. Like he watches you, he cares for you. Jesus, I just pray that someone who needs to hear this would right now in Jesus' name, what his children do and what happens to them matters to God. And the opposite of love is not hate. Right, because if you really love someone and they're ravishing their life in a way that that you can see is destroying them, you hate it because you love them. 
the opposite of love is indifference. You don't want a God who's indifferent to your sin or to your life. Just lets you do what you want. You need to know God's love has hate in it. Hatred for evil, whether done to you or by you. This is the love you and I were meant to meditate on. Propitiation was meant to, to help us understand the gravitas of the love of God for you. We don't run from this doctrine, we run into it. We don't get offended by it, we fall in love with it. We don't get sheepish around it, we proclaim it. You have to proclaim it. You have to get good at that or you will not get God's love right. God will, people who throw away the cross or say, I don't need that kind of love, they don't understand God's heart or the reality of God's love for them. And when you begin to be warmed by this love, you will want justice. You'll wanna give yourself to the poor. You'll, you'll wanna sacrifice yourself for the good of others. You, you'll wanna move towards broken people. You're, you're gonna hate what's clogging your marriage. You're gonna go like, oh, I hate that. And, and I wanna sacrifice, I mean, I mean, Paul tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He goes right back to propitiation because that's love. All true love is substitutionary. We, we have to love this love. We need to meditate on this love. We need to get our love from this love. That love will cast out fear. God's love is not tame. Some of us need to really hear this. And maybe we need to hear this for other people because we lack boldness because we're too afraid of the relationship. But if God's crazy about that person, he's not gonna be tame with them or you. God's love is not passive. It's an invasive love. He's after what's best for us. And I love in C.S. Lewis, like in the Chronicles of Narnia, whenever Lucy and, and the, you know, the whole crew, the siblings, when they actually meet Aslan, they're frightened because they, they learn he's not tame. He is not a tame lion. And this is the Christ figure. They're like, whoa, but though he's not tame, they're assured he was good. In the same way, Jesus' love for his children is not tame. It's not characterized by calm detachment or he's, he's, you know, determination. He doesn't want to impose his values on us. No, no. He will. It's like a lion. Satan and demons, like we looked at last week, so if you missed that one, you should listen to it. They will distract you from this kind of ferocious love. And they'll redefine love to be something more desires, whatever you have in your own heart, you can do. God's love is crazy about you. And this is the kind of love we're to love others with. Here's how he says this, ready? Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. That word perfected, it means fully matured. It's actually lived out so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. 
Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's a lot. So let's, let me try to explain this. Notice it says, the love God has for us will actually come to its fullest joy and maturity and will ooze out of us if something's removed. What is that? The fear of judgment. It's interesting. He says, the love God has for us will actually come to its fullest joy and realization when a believer looks forward to the day of judgment with confidence that he won't ever have punishment. That's why I'm saying it's really important as a church that we focus on the love that God defines as love. So stay with me. This, this will change your life. This is number three. God's love will cast out fear so we can love one another. Fear, what is fear? Fear is a belief that I'm gonna get hurt or I'm gonna be exposed or I'm gonna be in some way judged or punished. It's gonna hurt. But sure, church, if the worst day is the day God sees all and brings it out for righteous assessment. And the punishment through Jesus is gone. What happens to fear? It's gone. That's the miracle we need. Now you love others with any other functional fear, there'll be a clog. Let me say it this way, when I look at my life and I say, is James Bonney a Christian? Which happens, I have dark nights of the soul and I'm like, hmm, I don't know. I don't say this, I don't say, well, of course you are. Right, you, are, you preach, you're a pastor, you have, you have sermons, you have theology. I actually don't. Now that sometimes might help, but the book of James says even the demons know the truth and they don't love him. They don't love the truth. They don't wanna listen. They don't wanna love the Lord and they don't want him to be Lord and they don't wanna love others with his love. I can say that I am a Christian and I can say that with confidence and so can you and here's why. You have a heart for God's people and Christ and you wanna love the flock the way Christ does. Verse 17 says this, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. Like you, you just, you love Christ's people, the way Christ did. You just come alive. You want to give, you want to serve. All the spiritual gifts that we're going to hit in the new year, you just go, oh, I just, I love his, this. I love him. That's how you know. He says it this way in verse 13. Uh, look at it, First John 13. Get there. By this, we know that we abide in him as he in us because he's given us 
given us his spirit. And what is his spirit saying in us? That you love God and love others. Now, of course, it's gonna be imperfect and there's competing desires, but here's my question. Do you have that? Like, do you love God? Are you hungry for him? Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, fear is what you feel when you've done something that ought to be punished. But love is never threatened with punishment. So there's no fear in love. Let me ask you this. When Jesus lived his life and when Jesus loved others, did he fear anyone? No. I, I, I mean fear and like the punishment, like being exposed, like not like he feared the Lord, but, but, but he, he was secure in the approval of the love of God. When he spoke into someone's life, did he fear losing a relationship? Was he like, I don't know if I should say that to the Pharisee. I, I think we have, we have something really good. No, no, he actually, he loved without fear. Okay, this is huge. In Jesus, you have a relationship you cannot lose. In God's love, you have a relationship sufficient, adequate to sustain you if all others fail. I don't think we believe that. But do you believe that? Short church, when you apply and abide in the love that is yours at the cross and love others like Jesus, living like Jesus, approaching one another as Jesus, that love will cast out fear. What do you mean? Let me say it this way. Only when we are freed from the fear of losing a relationship, will our motivation approach the reality of this love? Only when you know the ultimate punishment isn't coming, the ultimate hurt doesn't touch you, which is from the God you're, that's already been taken by Christ, will you, will you love ferociously the way Jesus did? There's a real paradox, and I'll say this a few times, we need to embrace this. To love people, to love people, we must be willing to lose our relationships with them. Let me say it again. To love people, I must be willing to lose my relationship with them. Dependently holding on to anyone or anything but God will keep you from loving. You see the connection. If people have too much power in your life and can bring a form of punishment, you will never love them. But if you have no fear of that punishment being gone, you can love people freely. If, 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 if people have too much power in your heart and they cause you to think too much of you or too much of them, you can't love them. And in almost every marriage counseling situation, I'm prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit for his help because I have no idea what to do. And I'm listening to the couple. And the first thing he says is they have too much power in their lives. They each have too much power in each other's heart. And I'll just tell them that. I said, you know what you should do is you should take a picture of each other and then worship that five times a day and just see how weird that feels. Because that's what you're doing. That person has way too much power in your life. You can't love them. You're not experiencing the love of the Father. Because it's idolatry. Idolatry is at root a fear of the wrong God. 
We should love one another without fear. So here's how we're going to close. Um, I, 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 mean, I seriously think we need to, we need like a, a real moment with the Lord here. Like, so I'm going to ask a few questions here. What would, what would it look like to love one another without fear? Like, what would it look like for us to, to listen to one another with the goal of bringing loving words to the very areas and fears others are wrestling in? Like, what would it look like for us to listen to one another? Do we even do that? Many of us do. But with the goal, so you're listening with a goal of bringing loving words, Christ's love to the very areas and fears others are wrestling in. What would it look like with the help and prayerful presence of the Holy Spirit to allow people to be vulnerable and expose the very thing or part of them they don't want you or anyone to see? Like, what would it look like as a church? Like, when I'm asking these questions, I'm saying, within this community, what would it look like at the shore for us to help with the Holy Spirit to allow people to be vulnerable? Like, do people feel around you that they can expose the very part of them that they're afraid for you to see? Like, what if we did that? Or, or I know we do. So what if we got better at that? Like how, how many of you have been, you know, to that doctor's appointment and like the x-ray has been up there and the doctor's showing you and he studied the pictures and, and you see and you're now facing the truth of the condition. But you've had that moment where the doctor smiled and you knew, and he said, surgery may be required, painful recovery may happen, but you will live. And you felt loved. Do people see the x-ray of your heart? Because we won't go anywhere in this loving one another. If A, we have a fear and we're not willing to lose a relationship. But you will not love people the way you're called to if you don't know the love of the Father. And if that judgment day isn't paid for because you have nothing to fear anymore, there's no punishment. That's like for freedom, Christ has set you free. Some of us live in fear. And, and others of us, we, we're too quick to drive by people's lives. Like, what would it look like if, if you said and asked vulnerable questions, hey, can I ask you, what's, what are you fearing right now in, in what you're going through? Husbands, what if you like asked your wives that? Like, when was the last time you just said to your spouse, hey, like, what are you fearing in that? And that's a scary place to be. You're vulnerable at that point. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, that's where we're going to actually encourage. That's where we're going to build up. That's where we're going to love. 
Do you look to help people see what Jesus' love has done to rescue, to be an advocate, to be their redeemer? When we come this morning to communion, to remember the love of God, to worship God for his love, again, will you, will you ask him to unclog you? You guys can start, because we're about to sing here. Um, will, will you... Will you ask him to unclog you? Like, will you, will you like really worship him? Like, I mean, like, like actually, like with, with the help of the spirit, like just, will you ask him to work a miracle where like you'll adore him, you'll cherish him? And I mean, like, will you really confess sin? Will you, and, and if you're like me and you're like, I, I know I'm clogged somewhere. So I'm giving you permission to do whatever it takes to unclog me so that I can grow in this character. I cannot be afraid of people anymore. Like you tell them that. Like this is the time where that, that supernatural healing will take place and maybe already has. And Dale and I, we wanna pray. We wanna pray for healing today. So we'll be over here. There'll be a prayer couple under the exit sign. If there isn't, we will be it. And um, we'd love to pray for healing, physical healing, things that you're experiencing in your heart, things that have been clogging you for years. Um, and so uh, please come. Now, before we stand, I want everyone just to bow their heads and just close your eyes and just for the sake of privacy, I wanna ask you, if you're not sure you're a Christian and you know God's been just pounding on your chest this morning, today's a day where you need to make a decision to follow him and to believe in him. John says this, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And if that's you, you need to pray right now in Jesus' name, you need to pray, Father, forgive me. I invite you to come into my life to cleanse me. And I believe that you died and rose again and that you will love me forever. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that, will you just will you just put your hand up? Will you just go, God, I'm yours. But you do whatever you want with, with me in my life. Will you just do that? And let's stand together. And we're gonna respond as we always do in singing. Communion, come when you're ready. But, but here's my ask. Don't take communion today routinely. Like you come with great adoration at the cross of Christ because that's the symbol. The, his body was broken for you. His blood shed for you.
Father, I just pray that you would help us now as we, we wanna respond to you. We wanna thank you for a real love that is ours. And I pray that we would sense its power and its unclogging work by the power of the Holy Spirit as we sing, as we drink and eat of your body and blood broken for us, as we remember it, I pray for your power in Jesus' name, amen.